Hey, I'm Micah. And I'm Jen. From 1994 to 1996, Jen lived in the middle of nowhere, Montana. But not by choice. She was sent to a therapeutic boarding school. I had some issues. While there, she performed hard labor. There was also a lot of forced exercise. Went through daily, hours-long group therapy. That shit didn't work. And when she left, she was left with some holes in her life. Holes? One of the holes was her pop culture hole. Yeah, I missed a lot of shit. And that's a hole we can fill. So hide your watch up your ass. It's time for... I Never Saw That. Hey! Welcome to I Never Saw That. That's not a thing that we usually say, but this time it's a thing I said. This week we have a very special guest, one of my favorite people. I'm very excited. Her name is Kate Harlow. Hi! 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 Uh, Kate is from a couple different podcasts. One is called Subverted Tropes. There are how many episodes of that people could listen to? Um, uh, Somewhere in the between 30 and 40 i think nice we're, nice. we're cool. like we're on a little bit of a hiatus right now because uh one of us had to move so it's a lot harder to schedule uh yeah a two-person project that usually got picked up like in between dinner and bedtime mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but we'll get back to it because it's fun uh that yeah, is, that it's is also show. uh daniel spencer um mm-hmm. who is also involved in my other main project kids on bikes which is a tabletop RPG uh, podcast, which is super fun. It's my favorite show. Uh, I'm not just saying that. Kids on Bikes is my favorite show. Some of it, I mean, I love all of the people involved in it. We've had several of them. Well, now Daniel's the only one who has not been on our show. But anyway, James and Aaron (laughs) from Unabashedly Obsessed. And then um, David and Diana, they talked with us about Weezer. (laughs) <laughs> James and Aaron talked with us about Empire Records. So anyway, it's such a good show. Like, just go listen to it. It's really good. Plus, there are characters named after Elliot and me. So yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Bonus. That it's totally us... bingeable now because they just finished their first yeah, arc, and yeah. mm-hmm. it was an emotional roller coaster. Really let was. me tell you, it really was. It was so great. Yeah, it gives you a lot of feelings for a mostly comedy podcast, <laughs> right? It's so, but that's what's so perfect about it. Okay, what the fuck are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Pulp Fiction, motherfucker, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to say motherfucker a lot, because there's another thing that's repeated in this film a lot that Quentin Tarantino likes to put in his <laughs> movies that I'm not going to say at oh, all. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I what, <laughs> just real quick, I this is sort of a little bit of a cheat, because I did see this movie once a long time ago, obviously way after it had come out. Mm-hmm. So I I completely missed the moment of Pulp Fiction, which I feel like was a really big, significant moment. Yes. Um, but I did see the movie eventually. That said, I didn't remember. I remembered very little of it. Um, it's complicated. I realized when we watched it again. But anyway, so this was also recommended by one of our patrons, Rachel Earl. So... I just want to put that out there, too. But yeah, so this is like a really significant movie. So we would have done it anyway, even if I had seen it a million times, I think. <laughs> uh, I've also only seen it once. I think part, part of it on cable. No, I'm Oh, kidding. you're a liar. I've oh. seen it a lot of It was times, 10 minutes long because they had to yeah. edit out all <laughs> yeah, of it. Every, every <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Way. It was on the Hallmark channel. So it was like a, it was a really short version. Yeah. Oh. Um, no, I saw it a lot, and it was a big huh. deal. I yeah. was, I think this was our junior year in high school. Yeah, so this is so it came out in ninety four. Yeah, October so, of ninety four. Oh, um, so we were sixteen. Kate, you were six, I believe. Is that right? Yes, that is. So okay. did you see it in the theaters? So I you did. <laughs> Opening day, I was I was there. No, <laughs> you had seen Reservoir Dogs when you were four, and it just you loved it so much that you I, had to go see. You know, I I knew when I started watching Tarantino movies that that was the the track that I wanted to follow my life with. Uh, it's really it's really shaped me as a person. Uh, wow, particularly and you're still my. Alive. My well, I, I was going to say particularly my affinity for foot play, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Oh, I love that. I did. I love that part of this movie. 
I okay. So when did you watch it? Like, what, do you remember when the first time? I I want to say like early college ish, maybe. Okay. So like two thousand six. So like twelve okay. years later. I it's one of those things, and I uh. In my various and sundry attempts at careers, I've always had to, for whatever reason, have a very good working knowledge of pop culture. Mm -hmm. So growing up, there were a thousand things that made reference to Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. So at some point I had to fill in the like, I I know this is funny. This is supposed to be funny. This Mm -hmm. is supposed to be very well done satire of a thing, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I should know what it is that they're satirizing. (laughs) Cool. And like, have you seen it a million times or like several times at least? I would say several times. The most. So I I have to come clean and say that I didn't do any due diligence to record with you because I'm a terrible person. The Uh last time Uh I saw this was actually a live script reading of bard fiction which is pulp fiction rewritten in the style of shakespeare (gasps) wow it's awesome (laughs) wait is this it's like a live like a theater like a play yeah so like i don't know people can go out and like find the script and stage it at all of their local little theaters people have done it with the star wars the original star wars trilogy as well okay um just like taking these iconic movies and rewriting them in the style of Shakespeare and it's hilarious and I that's fantastic so fun I love that (laughs) okay I'm gonna look that up maybe maybe that's happening around us somewhere (laughs) that would be an interesting take I can't even imagine I know I can't either like (laughs) well like Uh, I I I'm trying to remember like the details from it like the um there there are a lot of cell phones in the movie a lot of like flip phones (laughs) um and Obviously, in a Shakespearean context, they wouldn't have those. So they had, they wrote in a character named Sprint, like the phone network, to convey oh. those messages back and forth. I love that. Yeah, it's very, it's very re- well done. I don't remember the phones. There were a few times they called. John Travolta calls when okay. Mia is ODing in his car. Oh, that's um, right. That's right. That's Jules right. Jules calls. Oh, that's that's Jimmy, a time that you should his call. Friend in Toluca Lake. Yeah. Right. That's a good time to have a flip phone. Yeah, I bet they were roaming, though, because <laughs> they were up in the valley. <laughs> bet they were. Roaming. Oh, my God. Okay, so I really want to hear – I really kind of want to just listen to you guys talk about this. I mean, I will take part, obviously, but, um, like, to start at least, I want to – because you both love and or loved this movie, um, and I don't really have that relationship with it, so – yeah, I want to hear like your your like what it was like when you first saw it, what you thought about it, how it's, you know, yeah. I don't know, how it's influenced you or I remember it being a huge deal. Yeah. And I Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. It was a moment. Yeah. It was like yeah. a it was. pulp fiction it moment. It was a big moment. And I think since then there's been some backlash. Even a couple years later I remember my freshman year of college taking a class where we were talking about film and the old stodgy professor brought up Pulp Fiction and how it wasn't so revolutionary. He was already like (laughs) over it and done with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time, it was pretty groundbreaking in a lot of ways, even though it wasn't. It was a pastiche of all these other elements. Mm -hmm. But the way he did it was, it was so well done that he could get away with a lot and he could throw in a lot of other things that we take for granted in popular cinema now mm-hmm. hmm. um, like what like what do you mean like give, oh i could go on for example? hours well but just I, give me one example like what well you- i think one of the big things people always talked about was like pulp fiction is the first movie that was non-linear storytelling and it wasn't at all it no. wasn't even <laughs> yeah. by like decades it wasn't even <laughs> yeah. his first non-linear f- uh-huh. storytelling film but because he told the story in that way and it wasn't really just a gimmick made the story it allowed the story to be told in a more interesting way than if it had been Mm -hmm. totally linear yeah um i definitely agree with that yeah and it was really stylized and the dialogue was fast and and cool and hip and Mm -hmm. there it was so fucking quotable like Mm -hmm. 
everybody knows all the quotes about the Royale with cheese and just all these lines. There were some, I don't even think I wrote them down, but there were a few times where someone said something. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the line (laughs) that everyone says. But now I don't remember what they were. And there were also, there's also tons of violence and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you think? A lot of language that I think he was able to package in this way that was really slick and entertaining and really cool. So it became a huge film where he was pulling from all these elements of exploitation films and, and black exploitation films and gore and all kinds of different things that weren't popular cinema at the time and weren't legitimate art cinema. Hmm. But he was able to bring these elements in and, and present it as... So you think that he legitimized those... I think a little bit, Those and he styles? spent his career kind of remaking movies like that, and hmm. and I, I don't think he's just, like, a lot of people write him off and say he's just a copycat, like, one-note guy who just hmm. redoes these movies. I think he's he's an artist, like everybody else, who's influenced by a lot of things, and I think he has made those films more legitimate to a lot of people, and... I think for a, a later generation of filmgoers and directors, it allowed them to do a lot of things that weren't, like in the 70s, those movies weren't seen in very many theaters. Mm-hmm. But he's doing things like the over-the-top violence and the language they used and the... Okay, Kate. <laughs> Talk to me. Talk to me, girl. Tell so, me what, what, what. Um, so my <laughs> recollection of not having seen it was more pinpointed when uh, Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2 mm. came out mm-hmm. because everybody was like, oh my God, Kill Bill, oh my God, Tarantino, mm-hmm. oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, <laughs> me, isn't that, that's the Pulp Fiction guy? I guess maybe <laughs> I should see that. Um, <laughs> and between the two at the time, um, or well, two if you're counting Kill Bill as one, which I am, uh, I like I prefer Pulp Fiction because I'm fascinated with the nonlinear storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a plot device that you don't see used well often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely would say that it is used well in mm-hmm. this film. Agreed. Yeah. But I think a lot of people might not understand or grasp that because the even told in linear time, the plot is still <laughs> like so rich with so much going on that people are like I don't I don't get it and like I'm mm-hmm. I'm stuck on the briefcase and I don't know what's happening mm-hmm. right like, yeah it's really easy to get distracted with all of these other trappings but mm-hmm. if you can like stop trying to overanalyze like what's really in the briefcase there's <laughs> yeah. like a straightforward story that's just chopped mm-hmm. up in a very interesting way mm-hmm. yeah no that's a good that's a good point. I did really appreciate the the way it was broken up. I I mean, this movie is hard for me to watch. I and this is this is maybe a compliment to Quentin Tarantino. It's so tense. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like I hardly breathed the whole time because you're just constantly waiting for terrible shit to happen, mm-hmm. and it almost always does. <laughs> he, I yeah. noticed it on this watch more than. Any other time I've watched it, I think. I I don't know if it's because I was watching more movies like that back then. Mm -hmm. Like, I have kids now, so I watch a lot of kids' movies. (laughs) And and we don't watch a lot. For a long time, you were not into, like, violent things or scary things at all, Jen. So we kind of shied away from that, and I didn't watch those things as much. But watching it this time, I was really struck by... He's a master of building tension in a yeah. scene. I mean, and he's you like, can tell he's just toying with you. Oh, yeah. And he does it in a, a lot of different ways with the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the dialogue's fast and funny, and it's just to get the characters from one place to another. And mm-hmm. you can tell it's just something he really fucking wanted to write, and he thought <laughs> it was hilarious. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? I mean, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. What do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. (laughs) (laughs) And other times, he drags out these monologues 
where it's super tense and you know what's going to happen, but he just makes you wait as the characters are discovering what's going to happen. You read the Bible, Greg? Yes! Well, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And other times it's these super long shots that he has where the camera follows this person. Like when um, Bruce Willis is about to leave the pawn shop and then he comes back and he finds, uh, there's a great part in there where he finds the weapon that he's going to take downstairs. It's a samurai sword. sword. And he, he has the hammer. And then he sees a baseball bat and then he sees a chainsaw (laughs) and then he pulls down the samurai sword. Just that progression is really good because his face is so good. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he walks super slowly down the stairs with the sword out Mm -hmm. and it's, and the way he uses music. I mean, we could talk about that for days too. The Mm -hmm. soundtrack is incredible. And just the juxtaposition of these happy seventies songs sometimes or sixties songs with whatever's happening (laughs) in the scene. Yeah, I would say he's like Hitchcock level master of suspense, at least this movie. I I realized, you guys, this you're gonna think I'm crazy or just I don't know what. I've never I have this is the only Quentin Tarantino movie I've seen. Really? I know. Okay. It's it's weird. I it's not that weird. I like a lot of people have the understanding that he does high tense, high drama, very gory. Yeah. With weird foot stuff. And like. <laughs> Do to, all his movies have weird foot stuff? Yes. yes. Oh, A lot okay. of close ups. It's, oh, okay. it's literally Bare one of his signatures. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because um, there were. Yeah. Okay. But like, you know, if if that's all you have going in, eh, some of his stuff doesn't look very appealing. Yeah. Um, but like talking about the, the building of tension brought me around to another one of his films, Inglorious Bastards, which mm. um, is also, again, super incredibly suspenseful, but yeah. it has the most amazing, beautiful performance from uh, Christoph Waltz, um, mm. who plays like a horrible, awful villain. And I was uh-huh. reading something the other day where it pointed out that like very early, the very beginning of the film, uh, Christoph Waltz, goes to uh, this cabin that he suspects of hiding Jews and um, he asks the like the young girl there to get him a glass of water. The way he does it is that he grabs her arm and says, oh, won't you get me a glass of water or whatever? Mm. Nobody, like, I didn't notice until this article pointed out, he the way he grabs her wrist, he's checking her pulse to see if she is freaking out and panicking. Oh, wow. It's so subtle. It's so subtle, but it's incredibly well done. Yeah. What were what did you bring up earlier, Micah, that was like a tiny, like a detail? Oh yeah. You said that God, what are their names? Uma okay, Thurman. Butch and what's Uma Thurman's character? Mia. Butch and Mia. Vince Vince. I'm and sorry, Mia. what the fuck? Vincent okay. And Mia. Let me start over. Let me start over. <laughs> People at my haircut place gave me wine. Okay. <laughs> So Vincent and Mia uh, have this scene. Actually, it's one of my very favorite scenes where they do the twist competition. They do this like dance competition and they you see them walk away with this trophy. Uh, but apparently, and I did not catch this watching the movie, but apparently later there's a story on the radio about how a tro- uh, the trophy was stolen. Is that right? Yeah, it's when... Butch, Bruce Willis, goes back to his apartment to get his watch. There's a story on the radio, and I didn't hear it. I just, this is one of the things I read as Mm -hmm. we were doing a little research that there's a news story about some trophy being stolen or something. 
Right. So those details, like I, mm-hmm. like I just, it just made me wonder how many other details did I miss? Partially because I was so fucking nervous the whole time. Well, it's interesting <laughs> you bring up like these little tiny details because this was also ninety four. It was coming out right as the internet was becoming really, really big mm-hmm. and popular. And there were all these message boards and websites you could go to and download scripts and read analysis of scripts. And people were just starting to analyze film on the internet, which now we just all take for granted. As soon as you go home, I mean, you didn't have to worry about spoilers. Now I think it's all about spoilers. But yeah, yeah. as soon as you go home, you can read about a movie and just look up like on the way to your car as you walk out, like what happened in that scene? What's going on? (laughs) That, That wasn't a thing back then, but people started analyzing Pulp Fiction because it's such a complex yeah. plot and it's written in such an interesting way. You two are, I feel like you two are definitely making me think about the really, really good, amazing parts of it. Like you're kind of talking me into liking it more. <laughs> uh, well, it's good he, because, no, go. Well, like here's the thing of it. Like it's problematic. Almost, yeah. almost all of Tarantino's work is problematic. Mm-hmm. So if you're capable of acknowledging that and yeah. you're capable of setting yourself up to know, like, oh, this is going to be tense, mm-hmm. then it is enjoyable. The performances are really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and that's the case in a lot of his films. But, like, I wouldn't jump to say, oh, my God, I love this. It's mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. it just, it fascinates me Yeah, how it is permeated pop culture to this day like to the mm-hmm. point where like i am confident that there are college students out there who have like the poster of um mm-hmm. oh now i'm losing names too because i gave myself wine <laughs> um, it's that wine uh, no, no no um no. Of, of jules and vincent uh when yeah. they're kind of standing parallel oh, with the yeah. guns like yeah. that has been like that image has been played with, different heads have been put on it. I guarantee that there are college students who have that poster yeah. and also a Scarface poster hanging on their wall, and I yeah. bet they've <laughs> never even seen it. Never. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Reservoir Dogs, I feel like, is a big like poster one. Yes. I've never seen it either. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I know, I know. It's supposed to be amazing. I is that one I should watch? Let me wait. Yes. Before you answer that, <laughs> let me tell let me just give you my a little bit of me i so first of all if i had seen this if it had come out i mean no if i had been home i don't think i would have seen it and if i would have seen it i would have um just cried a lot i think because that's how i responded to violence like i just i could not for a really long time well and still but to a lesser extent like i can watch this movie now Mm -hmm. but for a lot of my life, I have not been able to watch like really violent stuff. I just cannot watch people suffering. It's not enjoyable for me. But I have gotten over a lot of that. And I'm proud of myself. I watch a lot of violent shit now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You've become desensitized. Yay. But, so, well, but this is why I'm asking, though, because Pulp Fiction is a little much for me. I will be honest with you. Like the the violence is, it's rough. It's hard for me. And as some specific scenes that I'm sure we'll talk about, but like Reservoir so, Dogs is a lot, so I'm not it's sure. A lot of violence. Like, yeah. but what kind though? Like, like, it's okay, like, is it a lot of blood? A lot of mm-hmm. okay. I'm okay. A little with torture. That. I think I'm. Okay. Oh, a lot of torture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, that's that's a little so because rough. again, it's also it's mobsters. Um, yeah. And the it, Reservoir Dogs, the whole thing is. Uh, is it mob or just like general crime it's just a, group? It's just a heist. Yeah. These so heist group, but somebody is somebody's a cop, and mm-hmm. it turns into this like paranoia turning in on itself. Uh-huh, uh, like uh-huh. the whole group eats itself alive. Yeah, thing. I that's another one. Like if you can tell yourself going into it, like oh, this is this is just very silly. It's just people pr- playing pretend. It's mm-hmm. not that bad, but mm-hmm. like Steve Buscemi uh, <laughs> was famously quoted as um, his 
his character does not make it. Sorry, spoiler, whatever. <laughs> um, it's fine. I assume no character makes it. It's cool. Some do, and it's fine. But he, his character didn't make it, and they there's a shot of him like in his coffin or whatever. And his mother like saw a picture of it and said, that's the most handsome you've ever looked. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but like it was that kind of response. Yeah, which is hilarious. And that's I do appreciate the parts that are there were some parts of this that were very funny and very darkly funny and sort of subtly funny. And I Mm -hmm. really I mean, that's why I like the parts with Vincent and Jules the best, Mm -hmm. because I feel like every conversation they have is like that. Yeah. The way they play off each other is huge. It's great. It's just, it's really great. Wait, pause for a second. Should we have not talked at all about like the plot of this movie? I mean, it's hard to describe the plot, but should (laughs) we, should we do that? Should we assume people haven't seen this movie? Because I don't think we should bother because this movie is so. Yeah. There's so much to unpack. Well known. And yeah, it's so complicated and it's been analyzed like so much should we just say okay so like basics like john travolta and samuel jackson vincent and jules are hitmen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who work for like a crime boss guy tell us wallace mm-hmm. and um <laughs> yes tell us more explain the rest briefly you have 30 seconds Go. his wife is played by uma thurman and her name is mia and uh, vincent takes her out on a date don't you hate that Hey, what? Uncomfortable silences. Why do we feel it's necessary to yak about bullshit in order to be comfortable? And then Bruce Willis is this boxer who's like really troubled and disturbed guy. Mm-hmm. And he has a watch from his dad and from his grandpa. And it was in people's asses, including Christopher Walken's ass, apparently. You're hitting all the right points. For a yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. These are the important things. And then I'm going to skip that whole scene that I hate. Uh, and then, and then, um, but he does kill John Travolta, so that's a thing that happens. But then you go back in time. Oh, here's actually an important thing. Number one, there's a briefcase that glows, and no one knows exactly what's in it. I think it's the Holy Grail. Also, who gives a shit? It's not really anything, but it's like this big mystery, right? So, <laughs> but it is the part where Samuel Jackson, John Travolta, they're in a apartment and they're killing dudes um these dudes like fucked over marcellus wallace so they're killing dudes but a dude was in the bathroom and he came out and he tried to shoot them he shot four times and missed and samuel jackson was convinced that it was a miracle what just happened here was a fucking miracle chill jules this shit happens wrong wrong this shit doesn't just happen do you want to continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse with the cops. We should be fucking dead, my friend. What happened here was a miracle, and I want you to fucking acknowledge it. All right, it was a miracle. Can we go now? And then decides to give up crime. How's that? That's good. The main That's points? good. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. Some of them, I know, I know. There's <laughs> like, I just kind of want to put a little bit out there. Yeah, but I think you got the important parts, which yeah. I think a lot of people... It it was so so as a sixteen year old boy when I saw this, it had, you know, cool cars in it. It had guns. <laughs> mm-hmm. It had good music. Hot women. It had yeah. It had like dancing and everything was super stylized. It was fast. I was really into like old kung fu movies and stuff. So mm-hmm. it had elements of that stuff. It just everything about it was super cool. Hmm. I didn't give a shit about the plot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of an afterthought. Right. You know? <laughs> but then watching it over and over and over, you realize the story is really about Jules mm. and Vincent mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how Jules changes his ways. Right. Mm-hmm. In the very first like opening scene, basically, yeah. he decides, like, this has to, I have to change something. And then you get the payback at the very end. Yeah. And Vincent is like, fuck it. It was a freak accident, man. You can't. It's nothing. And he gets shot on the toilet because (laughs) he spends a lot of time on the toilet with that book. (laughs) Wait, what was the book? Uh, It was modestly... I wrote it down. I I wrote it down because I I knew. While you're looking for that, I will say I was really bummed when Bruce Willis shot him. I really liked liked that character. And I... I, Mm -hmm. 
didn't know the movie well enough to remember that he was going to, that mm-hmm. I was going to still see him more, but. Modesty Blaze. Modesty Blaze? Is the title of the book, yes. And it's like, I think it's a, like a comic book character, a graphic novel type thing. Huh. And it's a British, I think it was a British author and it's like a James Bond style, but it's, it's like a, a real woman book? super spy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was just going to make, that. I was just going to make a joke about modestly smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> modestly. <laughs> just modestly, modestly blaze. just blaze. <laughs> Thanks for having me on guys. I brought my highbrow humor. <laughs> I will see myself yeah. out. Okay, so many people appear in this movie. Like, yes. so many people. Since you brought it up, the guy that comes out of the bathroom and doesn't shoot Jules and Vincent, you know who that was? No. Alexis Arquette, Rosanna Arquette's sister. It was before she transitioned. Oh. But she was listed in the credits as Alexis Arquette. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was interesting. So, Rosanna Arquette's also in the film. Right, right, right. She She's has 18 great. piercings. Five in each ear, one to the nipple of my left breast, two in my right nostril, one in my left eyebrow, one in my belly, one in my lip, one in my clit, and I wear a stud in my tongue. She's great. Christopher Walken has a great mm-hmm. part. Well, your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright. You'd be damned if any was going to put the greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright. So he hid it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. He gave me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. Then after seven years, I was sent home to my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you. That was really, really fucking... <laughs> That part really struck me because it was so, so, so dark and so funny. Yeah. I mean, it really Walken was. is the perfect so... person to deliver that monologue. Oh, God. It, oh, yeah. It was so great. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi shows up as like a waiter. He's yeah, a waiter. He's Buddy, Holly. Buddy Holly. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Hi, I'm Buddy. What can I get you? Who else? Oh, my God. Kathy Griffin mm-hmm. is in this for like mm-hmm. two seconds, which really was funny to me (laughs) was this before she had any kind of career well i mean obviously she had something of a career she was in a big movie she was basically an extra though like oh see now i'm curious (laughs) yeah 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 look it up yeah so she actually started performing in the early 1980s Uh, oh shit yeah so she had been around for uh, a hot minute Doing stand up, okay. probably right. Just yeah, stand, stand up. She she started with improv comedy at mm. the Groundlings. Um, oh, okay, but she uh, moved on to like other sketch stuff, and then started doing her own stand up night with Janine Garofalo. Oh, okay. Uh, and then here we go. Griffin made an appearance in Quentin Tarantino's nineteen ninety four film Pulp Fiction. Hmm. That's cool. So okay, so it was just a cameo then. Like people knew who yes. she was. Okay. Yeah, Harvey Keitel showed up, Julia Sweeney, mm-hmm. like just tons of people mm-hmm. he yeah. just threw in there. That was another thing I remember about this movie was that the cast was so huge. Mm-hmm. And you saw a lot of movies in the next couple of years that were these huge kind of mysteries, heist, caper movies with tons of people in them. Yeah. I forgot to say Eric Stoltz, yeah. who plays i forget his name but the heroine lance 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 oh my god okay i loved (laughs) i loved uh all of him he was such a piece of shit Uh, are you talking to me on a cellular phone i don't know you who is this don't come here i'm hanging up the phone prank caller prank caller that Um, scene too is another great one with attention when they're when they have to stab her in the heart with the god the adrenaline shot yeah and there's Mm -hmm. Oh, there's such a great shot of their faces. Eric yeah. Stoltz's face, and then and they're arguing and counting, and then there's a shot of the needle mm-hmm. in the air, and then it shows Dripping. Roseanne Arquette, and she's just like smiling and can't wait. <laughs> she's just she's so fucking yeah. excited. She's super excited. Yeah, it's so good. So, talk to me about how this movie changed cinema because that's what people say about it. That's what I always read about it. It was like this 
thing that changed cinema forever. Like what? Talk to me about that a little bit, Kate. So it gets credited for several things that I don't think it actually really gets to claim. Uh, it, it's credited <laughs> for nonlinear timeline, which maybe wasn't right. a huge thing in the U.S., but the French were definitely doing it. Um, it gets credited as like the first black comedy, and I don't for uh, one second believe that. <laughs> wow. What, like, wait, the first black comedy? Like, what? Really? Yeah, first it doesn't. That doesn't sound right to me at all. No, no, it doesn't. But so, what was so different about it? I mean, I, I, I see it's nonlinear, but like Micah, you keep saying it's really stylized. So what? Mm-hmm. Well, I think at the time, Quentin Tarantino had a unique style of writing dialogue. That was the big thing in mm. Reservoir Dogs. That's in this true. Film. The dialogue mm-hmm. is pretty great. Yeah. And it's it's his style. It's fast. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, there's these two, like Jules and Vincent are like these philosophers who are yeah. mm-hmm. killing people yeah. one second and then having these deep conversations. Or not even deep. They're like explaining uh, what a TV pilot is. Right. Yes. She used to be an actress. Oh, really? Did she do anything out of scene? I think her biggest deal was she starred in a pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, you know the show's on TV? I don't watch TV. Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? Yeah. Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. Then they show that one show to the people who pick shows, and on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. I loved those parts. Like mm-hmm. every conversation they had. I... And they're like real conversations that people right, would that have. that people would have. Kind yeah. of. And then yeah. there are other ones that are like over the top, scripted, mm-hmm. ridiculous. But Tarantino gets these performances out of people mm-hmm. that he can write this like two pages of monologue and it works mm-hmm. and he can get them to present it in a way that doesn't sound like it's stilted and awkward and like it like they're reading a script yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that was done very well yeah i agree okay so dialogue what about i mean was like the type of violence new like was there something about that that was I mean, I think there were other films, obviously, that were super violent, but this one was, it was like a a comedy and Mm -hmm. also a suspense, like action movie almost. Mm -hmm. I think the violence was over the top, but it wasn't even like watching it this time. I've, I used to watch this movie a lot and then I kind (laughs) of moved away. Like I saw Kill Bill 1. I've never seen Kill Bill 2. That's like watching half of a movie. Um, (laughs) But I kind of, and I did see some of his other films, but I kind of got away from some Tarantino films for a while because I got mm-hmm. over it. It's just a lot to take in and it they get progressively more and more gory. And I think at the time there were some scenes in Pulp Fiction that were really huge and upsetting for me. And they were big, like they were shocking to people. Oh. And watching it now, I'm like, that wasn't even that bloody. That was like, they oh, show see, yeah. him I... get shot one time and then that's kind of over. And I thought you were talking about the rape scene because I had forgotten that that mm. was a thing that was going to happen. Mm. And that's a, that was a point where I was like really pissed off. Yeah, I never I forget like, about the rape scene. I was like, I fucking hate this movie. But that's how I always feel about rape scenes. Yeah. Though. Like I've seen enough of them. And I, um, and this was, a, I thought this was a particularly disturbing rape scene. It's like, especially considering, okay, so now we're getting into like problematic shit. We got to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Like, Every white person in this movie is a fucking racist, except maybe Vincent and Mia. But like every every like like outside character, mm-hmm. I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but um, every white person supporting like, supporting character. Thank yeah. you, thank there you, you very much. Supporting characters are all they all use the n word. They're all just like racist. That's another Tarantino hallmark. Yeah. Oh yeah, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, real unfortunately, and I uh, well yeah. So there's that. But like these white men, these super white racist men rape a black man and are like so, oh, God, it's so, it's. Well, and that whole scene, there's a whole nother level of disturbing. Like mm -hmm. they have a guy in a box locked up wearing full leather. The gimp. Bondage Mm -hmm. gear all the time. And they do this all the time. Which is never explained either. Zed and said, 
spider caught a couple flies. Like they have a code for this whole situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've been, they're like serial killers basically. Yeah. And rapists. I mean, ugh. anyway, yeah. The, so that scene really pissed me off. I will be honest with you. I, I, um, I don't think and, anybody likes that scene. Well, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was necessary so that Bruce Willis could like move on with his life and yeah. they could mm-hmm. be cool, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess what I feel like is I think that Quentin Tarantino is just a fucking racist, to be honest with you. Like I I I think that scene where he is in it and he's talking and he uses the N-word like every other mm-hmm. second, mm-hmm. all I could think was like he made this movie so that he could say that word. Like mm-hmm. he's so horny for that word. <laughs> he's Do you also know what doing I mean? it like to shock people. And to get that reaction, I mean, I which feel... the whole movie, he's doing that the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to shock you and see how far I can. Like, that's how. Right. But there's a point where that's not shocking as much as just fucking offensive. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So I don't. And again. I'm having... not disagreeing with you. I'm no, just no, saying I'm that's. Just... Having yeah. not seen it back then, I don't know how it was viewed. I don't know how I would have felt about it. Well, that's the thing of it is that I think the difference between then and now there's a I would hope to say a big mm-hmm. difference in the acknowledgement of yeah. that disparity. Right. Back back in the mid 90s, Quentin Tarantino throwing around the N-word was super edgy and like right. yeah. he I, I mean, I don't according to him maybe like his affinity for black exploitation films and his wanting to honor those meant that he he felt culturally okay to claim that word uh-huh, and uh-huh. it's just like 90s edgelord bullshit yeah. right totally <laughs> totally like yeah and it's like it's not just that he made the movie to say that because i'm mm-hmm. absolutely confident that he says it all day every day it's yeah. that he wanted everybody to know that he says it right and like, that it's okay that he says that it. he is he can do it right, right. he's edgy yeah. enough to to go there yeah and shock you and i and i just find that i find that so fucking obnoxious that I that mm-hmm. it's hard for me, even though like and I really enjoy this conversation, too, because I knew that I would like hearing you two talk about it because you bring up points that I, you know, like about actual film things that I don't necessarily think about and that make this movie brilliant. But I just I don't know. I fi- I just I don't like him i found it very distracting this time too and other times that i've seen it but i will say the difference too like kate was saying the difference between now and then is in 94 i'm sure among certain parts of the population it was pretty upsetting Mm -hmm. among oh yeah white kids in oregon who were seeing it we were like oh well we're listening to public enemy all the time too so it's cool he he said that it's not a big deal right totally and that was kind of the response was oh it's edgy but He's making a statement and it's art. Mm. And now in, I don't know what year it came out, but Django Unchained comes out. And he's still doing some years it. See later. That? Yeah. And people were really upset right. because he made Jamie Foxx say it like 147 times or mm-hmm. something ridiculous. Only Jamie Foxx? Did so, white people also say oh, it? Oh, white people said it yeah. in that yeah. one oh, too. Yeah. But it's just people were, there was a response. Django Unchained, uh, Unchained was 2012. Yeah, so 18 right, so, years later, there was a big response. And that's the thing is he's still doing that. That's and what he's I'm, still, yeah. He hasn't right. changed. That's the problem. Or made that Well, he, do, he doesn't think he has to. He feels yeah. entitled to this. Yeah, right? and I think, like, he, I think part of it is he feels like when he is able to get these um, incredibly talented black actors and actresses mm-hmm involved or signed mm-hmm. on to a project he feels like that is them complicitly saying yeah that's fine absolutely yeah that's i mean because the scene where he <laughs> so there's a scene where uh vincent and jules accidentally shoot a kid <laughs> in the car marvin marvin poor, poor marvin, marvin. <laughs> that that was actually a landmark trope creation yeah. it's the it's called the i shot marvin Trope. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Have you guys talked about that on Subverted Tropes? We haven't covered it. I, 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 oh, I, made, okay. a, I made a point of looking it up so that I could make it sound like I regularly know tropes. 
I love that. Marvin, I'm I, curious but, about that part. Like when they cast him, they're like, you're just going to be scared and, and sad and scared. Well, and you're a black movie. kid that Quentin Tarantino is going to call the N-word. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, he's saying it to Samuel Jackson. And so it does, like, it's exactly what you just said, Kate, about mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson doesn't respond in that scene. And it's like very, yeah. it's very, or I mean, it's obviously very deliberate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I had a real hard time with the racial slurs because I don't mm-hmm. think whatever his excuses are, I think they're all bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, if he had changed, if he had changed over the years and stopped doing that, I think I would have more patience for that looking back on Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing of it to me is it's not that I look at it and think like, oh, my God, I love this. I just right. I find it fascinating i find it to be a fascinating like moment in time captured and it's one of those moments that has aged not well Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it it again and i know i've said this already but like the things that have stuck out the things that people do remember are the very very much more benign parts of it rather Uh than like oh yeah there's super rape scene and and like a lot of yeah. gratuitous killing and mm-hmm. but man remember when they talk about the royale with cheese that's right. pretty great yeah. <laughs> right and that's the thing like those are the great parts and i i don't know i guess i feel like the movie doesn't need as much gratuitous violence you know but see i that again this is me i i don't know what all the influences were that i mean you mentioned like black exploitation and mm-hmm. kung fu movies mm-hmm. yep um and- and just pulp, like pulp novels, pulp, right? The, yeah, like old forties detective novels and other. Was there yeah. a lot of gratuitous violence? In yeah, those. Oh yeah, that's, okay. That's okay. why they were pulp novels. They right. weren't like well published. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things okay. they weren't accepted. So it's not. It's not. It's not exactly gratuitous. Then it's just like. Well, it is. It was in well, those too. It's intentionally that's the point. gratuitous. Yeah. Is uh, yeah, yeah. One other thing I noticed during this watching of the film is Bruce Willis's character was really interesting to me because he is kind of a central character but he's also not it's like a, yeah. a subplot but right. he plays a, a really big role obviously um but i think he kills more people than anyone else in this <laughs> film yeah and he's like the good guy he's who you're rooting for the whole time and you I get, think like maybe they're they're hoping that you will take into account the fact that uh vincent and um jesus god i need to not wine um <laughs> well, it's also really late where you are <laughs> yeah that that is also true it has been a very weird and long day um <laughs> not bad just just weird and long um uh uh jules jules and vincent right like i think maybe they're they're ter- trying to hope that you are taking into account uh that they are contract killers <laughs> um mm-hmm. right right so like if you pause it like yeah they're you know, Jules is talking about wanting to get out of it and not wanting to do this mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if we're talking strict body count throughout the film, yeah. uh, 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 Butch does a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't mean to kill the guy he was boxing, but he meant to kill everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't premeditated. Right. Or, you know what I mean? Like, like it, Vincent and Jules go into or, a situation yeah. like to kill someone. That's their job. Right. He just kept ending up in these situations where he uh just like had to murder well and he gets away too because he he always does well with some caveats he always does the right thing like he he doesn't take the fall he he doesn't Mm -hmm. throw the the fight you know he actually does his best and then he doesn't just leave when he hits the gimp and is about to leave the pawn shop he goes back yeah and he saves when they Marcellus. take Marcel and I uh, yeah, yeah. So thank god that's he gets what... the money and he gets away and he gets a clean slate and mm-hmm. which was Marcellus cool I, I love that part because there's so few parts like that in this movie like you know what I mean like mm-hmm. he's the character who was well him and Samuel Jackson I guess like were redeemed kind yeah. of mm-hmm. that scene was also weird to me though because Marcellus Wallace could have just killed everyone in the room and then he doesn't mm-hmm. have to worry about saying no one ever hears about this. He right. just, he's holding a shotgun mm-hmm. behind Bruce Willis. <laughs> Why let him go and make him a deal? Because he just saved his life. He right? did, and he saved him while he was being he fucking raped. He wouldn't have been in that by... situation at all if it wasn't for 
his other actions. Who? Butch? No, Marcellus Wallace wouldn't have been there if Butch hadn't right. hit him with a car and then mm-hmm. Oh, God, and I forgot that and... that's how they got there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. Dude, there's so many things that happen in this movie. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Fabian is the only, like, really likable character, and I loved her. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? If they find us, they'll kill us, won't they? But they won't find us, will they? And I also thought that their, like, sort of sex scene was really kind of sweet and actually very Mm -hmm. sexy. And you get to see a woman experiencing pleasure, which I think in the early 90s was rare. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I will say I'm glad that Bruce Willis kind of had his slate cleared there with Marcellus and they're not going to be on the run forever because I really don't think Fabian is cut out for this life. <laughs> yeah, she's, yeah. She was a little, a little naive. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, Bruce Willis is a big violent dude and they might have a bit of a weird abusive relationship, but a little bit. <laughs> Where's my watch? It's there. Have you looked? Yes, I fucking look. What the fuck do you think I'm doing? You sure you got it? Yes, bedside table drawer. And the little kangaroo? Yes, it was on your little kangaroo. Yeah, well, not here now. Well, it should be. Yes, it most definitely should be, but it's not here now. So where the fuck is it? Did, okay, question. Mm-hmm. All right, is this a movie you think you're going to watch again? I'm sure I'll watch it again sometime. Okay. But it's yeah. been probably 10 years since I've seen it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I watched it a lot in those first 10 years. You mentioned earlier oh. that... Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I just have to say this real quick. There's a part where Micah said you could see Bruce Willis's dong. <laughs> and I, I rewound There's two twice. dong shots. I, I rewound twice. No dong. I mean, I, it's just shadows and pubes, basically, but... I saw no dong. So I just Sorry. wanted to let everyone know that before you continue with your real thing. Okay. She was looking for it. She was really was. excited about it. I mean, it's so rare that we see Dong. You know what I'm saying? It's very true. <laughs> it is true. Like In film. Yes. On screen. I mean, obviously yeah. in real life, I see Dong all the time. All kinds of Dong. But Dong all day. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, Kate, we're going to do another up. project together. And it's <laughs> going to be day. fun. It's going to be called Dong All Day. <laughs> but it should have nothing. It should be all about butts instead. <laughs> no dongs. A butt podcast about butts. <laughs> so, okay. you brought up uh, Alfred Hitchcock earlier. And I did. it makes sense because the briefcase is a classic MacGuffin, which mm-hmm. was something that mm-hmm. Hitchcock like came up with uh-huh. and invented and named. Uh-huh. They put an orange light bulb in there oh. so that it mm-hmm. would glow. And he's he has said since then that he regretted doing that because it made it too, I don't know, he just wanted it to be totally mm-hmm. something that people could imagine what they wanted was in there. But if it's glowing, then that adds something that makes people think a certain way but well, what did you think was in it well i said i said it's the like fucking holy grail like, and also there, like samuel jackson quotes the bible mm-hmm. a few times and then it's almost like he's born again do you know what i'm saying at the end mm-hmm. quit, like when he decides to quit yeah. so i i felt like i i was wondering watching this if quentin tarantino is christian or if you know he just threw in I don't think he'd identify as Christian, but I could be wrong. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't, I just, I wasn't sure where he was coming from Mm. with that. But I know that that's, that's what I thought of. I don't know if he's necessarily Christian or if he was trying to utilize Christian, um, like, touchstones. Because the lock for the suitcase is 666. Right. Oh, see, I didn't even notice that. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, there's so many fucking details. We should have watched this twice. (laughs) <laughs> what did you think was in the briefcase, Kate, when you first saw it? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> An orange light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think I think this comes back around to like the 
my way of going about a lot of things for a long time was like knowing a lot about it before ever actually experiencing it. Mm -hmm. So I almost certainly had read like some article or something before I actually sat down and watched it and was like, there's actually really nothing in there. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, I just won't pay attention to that. You just let that go. Yeah. 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 I think that's how I felt initially too. Like, oh, I wonder what it is, but it's not really important. It doesn't it's kind actually of fun play that to, big a part. I mean, I, just, I do like that. I actually like that it glows yeah. because it adds this sort of magical element. What do you think is it? And their reactions to it. I love all mm-hmm. of their, like, it's well, so beautiful. That, yeah, that one guy who's trying to rob the... Tim Roth. Restaurant, Tim Roth. Yeah. And who's the woman that he was with? Who, Amanda she was in, Plummer. She was in The Fisher King. And I, I love her in both movies, actually. But anyways... Yes, it was Amanda Plummer and Tim Roth. As Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And what are their other names? Ringo and... Oh, Ringo Sarah and Jackson. Yolanda. Yolanda, Yeah, yes. right. Anyway, like, yeah. So his reaction was like, is that what I think it is? That's yeah. when I thought, oh, it's the Holy Grail or something like that. Yeah, so it's something recognizable, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or What do you think is in it, Micah? You were asking us, so I assume you have a thought. I don't think anything was in it. I don't think it matters at all. But one of my favorite theories... Because it's so complicated and is backed up by so many things in the movie. Uh, But it's one of these things that was debated on the internet forever Mm -hmm. after the movie came out. Um, One of my favorite theories is that it is Marcellus Wallace's soul. Yeah. Oh. Because he sold his soul to the devil and he's been trying to get it back. And it fits with the... 666 being the combination. There's a there's a big bandage on the back of his head. Yes. Yeah. So the the first time you see him oh. is the scene which is another one I love of a long take of it's Bruce Willis's face. Oh yeah. And Marcellus that... Wallace is talking. Bruce Willis hasn't said a, a line. I was at that point I was like, "Oh, this the is whole Bruce film. Willis at his best just sitting there looking angry." Yeah. And he just <laughs> his, he doesn't even react or respond to so many things. Mhm. And it's a long shot. And then it backs up a little bit and you see the back of Marcellus Wallace's head. Yeah, Ving Rhames. Yes, with a huge Band-Aid on the back of his head. And it's right in the center of the frame. It's like so prominent. The story is it was just he cut himself shaving and he had that on there. Mm-hmm. And he showed up to set and Quentin Tarantino was like, oh, cool, I'll put it there and we'll just put it in the shot and it'll make people <laughs> wonder what's going on. Oh. But as far as the conspiracy theory goes, it's where the, the devil extracted his soul from the back of his head because mm-hmm. that's not a thing that's ever been mentioned before in any <laughs> sort of lore. That or... is wild. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I like that theory. Yeah. And then it also fits with Jules always quoting Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, interesting. I think it's funny. I don't think it's anything. No, obviously, it it's not. But... It, it's not important. Um, but it is, I mean, it's, I don't know. I just think it's fun to think about. I think it's fun to think about. I think it's less important than it was less important then than it is now because people Uh keep trying to make Mm -hmm. a connection and like in their own movies, reference it and make it relevant and give an answer for Uh whatever answer they wanted it to be. Yeah. So Kate has said, it's not like, I love this movie. It's more like, it's just so fascinating. Interesting. Is that how you feel too, Micah? Or would you say you love it? Or loved it, at least. I think I did love it when it came out. Yeah. I think it was a huge, it was a big deal. I actually remember, for some reason, my brother used to write me letters. My oldest brother was 12 years older than me, and he would write me letters all the time. And because that's how we communicated back before email. There were, yeah. (laughs) Um, Paper. But he wrote me a letter one time and told me that he just saw Pulp Fiction the night before, and he thought it was one of the best films you'd ever seen. Hmm. And I still have that letter, I think. There were other things in the letter too that I'm sure were really sweet, but that stuck out to me because I was like, really, it's that good? (laughs) Because my brother was always into film too and stuff. So he, like that meant a lot for him to say that it was one of his favorite films. And I think we talked about it after that. And I don't think he felt that way after, you know, some of the hubbub had died down Mm. some of the hype had died down he was like Mm -hmm. yeah it's really good and it's 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 gonna be influential and stuff but because people were already writing newspaper articles and stuff about all the influences that he had pulled Mm -hmm. from and Mm -hmm. so there was this weird backlash Mm. against it because it was so popular and then it was cool to think it was not good oh of course yeah yeah that always happens um Mm -hmm. and 
I but, kind of just personally got over some of Tarantino's more violent, gory films, and I wasn't, I didn't see some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching it again, it's held, it holds up surprisingly well for a film that's so stylized and slick. Except for mm-hmm. like a, a lot of problematic shit. Yes, of course. Except for all the problematic shit, it doesn't, that doesn't hold up well. But the story, the, yeah, the storytelling style. Um, and the, just the performances yeah. that he gets out of these actors. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. was also, this resurrected um, John, John Travolta's Travolta. career. Yeah. Yes. John yeah. Travolta was done. He was. He, he hadn't, hadn't done anything since what, Grease? No, I mean, he'd been in some other things, but it wasn't. Oh, and he's so good in this too. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. This yeah. was a revelation for him. Like just mm-hmm. to see him. Honestly, the way he was acting in the diner, the whole date with Mia, where he's just super fucking high yeah. on heroin, yeah. and <laughs> he was so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. she was great too. I mean, everybody's yeah. every all the performances are great. I mean, except yeah. Quentin Tarantino's. <laughs> That's, yeah, well, I mean. and not just the stuff he's yeah. saying; it's the way he delivers his lines. He's just trying so hard to be yeah so cool, and he's not. <laughs> He's the dork. That's, I think that sums that owns him those clothes. up. Like, yeah, he wants so badly to be cool, and he makes these like really cool movies. I do love that scene where he calls Jules and Vincent dorks. You guys look like. What do they look like, Jimmy? Dorks. <laughs> they look like a couple of dorks. <laughs> ha ha ha! Your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, because the clothes they wear. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, one last thing I just want to point out, I want to say, is that I loved the fact that Eric Stoltz, uh, his character, he's the heroin dealer. He's a total piece of shit, and I loved him. Um, <laughs> but, like, in his apartment, he just has he has Operation, the board game, and Life, the board game, just sitting there on, like, a side table. And I don't – it just was so <laughs> funny to me for some reason, like, because they're – fucked up i mean it's such a fucked up <laughs> yeah. all of it is so fucked and then he has these like really uh, <laughs> kids games innocent little kids games yeah he's also eating yeah. like kids cereal mm-hmm. and i don't know what the symbolism was there or what that was all about but i i liked it <laughs> just uh two things of note the uh probably the the more currently iconic role of samuel l jackson as uh nick fury in the avengers franchise Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the bible quote that jules repeatedly uh spouts Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. is quoted on nick fury's uh false headstone the the path of the righteous man oh really really Uh uh-huh that's funny is that just a nod to this movie yep okay okay oh that's cool and the the word fuck is uttered 265 times. Sweet. <gasps> really? Yep. That's an excellent fact, Kate. <laughs> That's a lot of fucks. That is a lot of fucks. I like, I'm impressed. That's cool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's only. It's a good fucking word. The it's movie's a only 154 minutes long, I think. It's what? Yeah. 154 minutes long. Wait, so that's like. That's like one and a half fucks. A, a minute. S- oh, I was yeah. going to say a second. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. Have you guys seen Pulp Fiction? <laughs> Good just... one. Good one. Nice. Uh, okay, I have to pee so bad, and it's very late <laughs> for Kate. Um, Still two hours earlier than I went to bed last night, so we're doing good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I do that too. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Oh my yeah, gosh, thank, thank you. you so much this for talking fun. with us. I love hearing your perspective. And um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff? Yeah, if you are looking for me specifically, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Argon, A R G O N. Kitten, K-I-T-T-E-N, like the little small fuzzy thing. <laughs> if you are looking for uh, my podcast, uh, Subverted Tropes, I think we're in the middle of changing uh, hosts right now. So those might not be available just this minute, but uh, mm-hmm. tweet at me and I'll tell you as soon as they are <laughs> up again. Yeah. Kids on Bikes, the podcast is on Twitter at kids underscore bikes and on Instagram at 
Kids on Bikes podcast or Kids on Bikes cast. I forget which. If -hmm. you just Google it, it will tell you it it will take you to actual children's bicycle accounts, which is weird. (laughs) Um, uh, You can also find that wherever you find your your fine, fine podcasting needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, If if you have if you have found this lovely podcast and and two of my favorite people, then I am confident you can also (laughs) find Kids on Bikes. (laughs) <laughs> oh it's great i mean fucking listen to it so it really is it's, a, it's an emotional journey <laughs> i just and it's love it funny it's super funny and then they hit you later in the episode right you're in like, the heart. oh i love right. these kids <laughs> yeah. oh then you yeah and then there's like a shit ton of violence it's great yeah yeah it's it's got it all it's it's got it's got laughs it's got yeah it's yes. got stabbing it's it's got magic <laughs> real emotion. it really does yeah, it's good. that's it's why wonderful. it's our family podcast we listen with our kids yeah, we do um okay well thank you so much i love you so much and i love um, you so much and uh we will talk soon yay thank you so much for listening as always we appreciate you and love you so much i just want to make a very quick comment uh at the beginning of the episode i mentioned other cast members from Kids on Bikes who have guested with us. And I said James and Aaron from Unabashedly Obsessed. And I mentioned David and Diana, but I forgot to say their show. Um, they are Macintosh and Mod, if you want to check them out. They have a lot of shows. They do. They also, <laughs> yeah. But if you look for Macintosh and Mod, you can find all their shows. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. Huge, huge thanks to Kate for joining us. Yes, that was so much fun. So fun. Uh, and thanks to Graham McRae for our artwork. Thank you to Fifi Folios for our internet stuff. Thanks to Minus Violet for our music. Until next time. See you in the 90s. 90s.